0: We've been in this series, Kingdom Culture, we're continuing it today, and what you're going to see, what I w- hope you understand and, and realize is that part of Kingdom Culture is to be generous. God wants us to be generous people. Jesus himself said this, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus said, give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall people give back, it says, be put back, poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words... There's two parts to giving. There's the part that we do, and then there's the part that God will do. In other places in Scripture, it relates giving to sowing seed. Like, you plant the seed, but when you put a seed in the ground, that seed doesn't die. On the contrary, that seed multiplies. And that's what happens when we give. There's what we do, and there's what God does. And I'm just trying to help you understand that in kingdom culture, God's heart is for us to be generous people. And what we're doing today, we're not giving to a building, we're giving to build the kingdom. That's what we're doing. And the truth is, if our church had $10 million in the bank, which would be more than enough to purchase our building outright and fund all our ministry for next year and do those things, I would still be giving you this message. Because this is not about raising money, this is about a kingdom principle, a kingdom mentality. God wants us to be generous people. And I'm stressing this because I don't want you to get confused about the purpose of this message, okay? What I want to teach you today, what I want to help you with, is how to put into practice living for a purpose beyond the here and now, living for something beyond yourselves and to think kingdom. That's what it means. That's the kingdom way. That's the kingdom culture, to have a kingdom mentality, a kingdom heart, and I just I want you to know that there is a kingdom beyond this world. There is a life beyond this life. And that's what we're giving to today. We're giving to see destinies changed. We're giving to see lives impacted, to see eternities transformed all by what we give. We're giving to something that is going to outlast us. And I want to use that thought to set us up for this message today. Because in our text, it's exactly what we're going to see. It's this thought Of something that outlasts us. And I know we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. Today we're gonna go all the way back to 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 24. And in 2 Samuel, we're gonna look at a different king, not King Jesus, but King David. And it might seem strange to go back hundreds of years when we've been focused on the Gospels in this series, but Truthfully, the books of First and Second Samuel are all about the establishment of a kingdom. And what you see if you read them in, in their entirety is that God's heart, God's intention was always to be the king of his people. That's always what he's wanted. But the Israelites, they wanted a king that they could see. They wanted a king that they could look to that would lead them into battle and that would provide security for them. And that's what we've been learning in this series is that there's always God's way and our way. There's always the world's way and there's always a kingdom way. And those things are in opposition with each other. And we're going to see a picture of both of those things, our way and the kingdom way, in this text today. So in 2 Samuel chapter 24, I'm going to start in verse 2. This is what it says. King David said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people. That way I will know how many there are. Joab responded to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the people a hundred times over and may your majesty live to see it. But why does your majesty wish to do this? In other words, context clues here, there's something about this that's not a good idea. We don't know exactly what it is yet. Scripture hasn't told us, but we're looking at this and we can see that something about what David wants to do doesn't add up. And I just got to tell you, this is why kingdom relationships are so important. This is why Christ-centered relationships matter. This is why you need church community, because we all need people in our life that when we get ready to make a stupid decision, they're going to say, hey, I'm not so sure about this. Hold up a minute. Why are you getting ready to do this? That's what's happening here. See, Joab was one of these people in David's life. There's been other times in the past where David was moaning and and. and, and causing problems and he was acting dumb and joab would speak up and he'd get him on the right path joab was a trusted advisor who helped him when he was wrong before but david is not listening this time look in verse four it says the king overruled joab and the commanders of the army so they left the king in order to count the people of israel i believe i have a word from god for you today and i want you to receive this word This is the title of my message if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes because sometimes God will quicken something to you later in the week, and you'll be like, man, what was it the pastor said, and you're not going to remember if you don't take notes, so I encourage you to take notes in church, you look smarter, and 86% of the Christians that take notes make it to heaven, so (laughs) um, I'm calling this message today, make it count, make it count, it's the word I want to give to you, and it's always my custom To pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. I would just ask you to bow your head with me. And let's go to God's word in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that every time we open up your word, you speak. So God, speak again today. Speak to our heart. Show us what we need to hear, what we need to see. I believe you'll do it, Father. I believe that you're going to change lives today. We thank you for it. And everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you are math people? Like you're good at math, you like math, you actually enjoy math, and I just see math, math people, numbers people, I like to see. Anybody here that like hates math, like you never wanna have to deal with math in your life, that's why you chose the profession that you chose, yeah. Um, actually, I, I like math, I, I liked it in school, I, I enjoyed math. The reason I enjoyed math is because the answers are definitive, you know? It's like there is a right answer and there is a wrong answer and it's very clear, like, you either got it right or you got it wrong. There's a reason that they say the numbers don't lie. I'm, I'm more of a math person. My wife is not a math person at all. Somehow my kids have genetically inherited this disease. And uh, Alexa is the primary tutor in our house, you know. She solves all the math problems. But, uh, but I, I like math because the answers are clear. I always felt like if you ever had to, like, write something in history class or English class and you had to give a written answer, like, it's too subjective. You know, like I felt it was a good answer. Why why did you take points off for that? I just think you misinterpreted what I said. But math is clear. Numbers don't lie. And even if you're not a math person, the truth is all of us can appreciate having clearly defined metrics by which we evaluate success. I mean, wouldn't you agree? We like to know uh, whether what we're doing is winning or not, whether it's working or not, whether we're being successful or not. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the biggest challenges in life, is how do I really know if I'm counting what matters? How do I really know if I'm evaluating the right things? How do I really know if what I'm doing counts? And that's the problem portrayed in this passage. It's not that David isn't counting. But what we get a glimpse of is the fact that he's counting the wrong thing. And I wonder how many of us in this room, it's not that we're not counting, but I wonder if we could be counting the wrong things in life. Now, if you're not a church person, new to church, new to the Bible, I wanna tell you a little bit about David, because David, he's king over Israel, but he's also the second king of Israel. It's also often referred to as the greatest king of Israel. The Bible, if you don't know, it's broken up into two primary parts. There's the Old Testament and New Testament. New Testament deals with the life and ministry of Jesus, establishment of the church. Well, David is the most prominent Old Testament figure found in the New Testament. He's quoted and referenced. David was a pretty phenomenal guy. He was actually a guy that it was said about him, a man after God's own heart. Now, even though David was this great king, he wasn't a perfect king. Nobody's perfect, and there were times that David missed the mark. There were times that he fell short. There were times that he sinned, and what we're gonna look at in this passage and what we just read is one of those times, times where he didn't trust God. Where we find David, he's at the twilight of his life. He's fought a lot of battles. He's experienced a lot of hardship, and he's experienced a lot of success And it gives us insight into what's happening here because there comes a point for all of us in all of our lives where we look at the sum total of what we've accomplished and we try to assess our impact. Now, you don't have to be at the twilight of your life to be measuring and evaluating your success. Truthfully, anytime you find yourself at a crossroads, you could be graduating school, you could be in the middle of transition. Anytime you find yourself at a crossroads, we often take inventory of our lives to look at, is what I'm doing, does it matter? Does it count? So that's what David does. He decides to count his army. And scripture, it doesn't really give us insight into why he decides to count his army. All we know is that he decides to count his army. You can read between some of the lines and pick up some context clues, but Truthfully, you don't have to think that deeply about it to think about why David is going to count his army because I would want to suggest to you that the reason he counts is the same reason that we count anything. He's at the end of his life. Some scholars suggest, I did some study, I'll share it with you. Some scholars suggest that the reason David counts his army is he's concerned about legacy. That's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about his legacy. He's Again, keep in mind, David... This is David and Goliath. This is David who's got some acclaim to his name. This is David who is a war hero. Not only is he a war hero, he had a song. He had songs written after him. He, he had a number one hit in, in the Jewish times. I mean, it was had a crazy beat. It was great. You can see in the Bible. It's called Saul had killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. It was everybody loved it. It was in the club. Everything. But this song, as great as it was, see, it talked about his victories. David didn't just win battles. He dropped bars. David wrote most of the Psalms in the Bible. He was a musician. he, he, He was a war hero. He was a fighter. He was king. He was concerned about his image and how he looked. And so some scholars suggest, well, the reason he wanted to count his army, he knows his life is coming to an end and how he's gonna be remembered matters. I mean, he can't have people thinking that he only has a million man army if he really has a two million man army. So let's get a count. And truthfully, we do the same things. We think about how am I gonna be remembered? What are the things that I can do that matter? What are the things that I can do that are gonna make a difference? And this thought might cause us to, to build something, to build a business, to build an organization. It might cause us to to donate to a cause or a movement. It it might cause us to think through our actions and and do some things that we think are going to tip the scales in our favor. We think about, how am I going to be remembered? But what David shows us and his life shows us is that it doesn't matter how much you do to enshrine your success. At the end of the day, it's not going to last. Because David, for all of his accolades, his kingdom is no more. And some would say that's really what he was trying to do. It wasn't so much about his legacy. It was about his posterity, the the longevity of his kingdom. He wasn't just counting his army so he could be remembered. He was counting his army to ensure that his kingdom would go on. See, at this point, Solomon, his son, he knows he's going to be king. And David has fought lots of battles. He's expanded the territory of Israel. And he wants to ensure that Solomon his reign will remain intact, that the kingdom is going to go on for generation after generation. So we got to make sure I'm setting up Solomon for success. And a lot of us do the same thing. We think about the future. And I want to stress that this is not a bad thing. We, what we do is we, we put money away for retirement. We, we set up investments and we put our money in trust for our children. And I want to stress to you, this is a good idea. The Bible actually says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So I would encourage you that, hey, if you haven't done that yet, you should get started. You should put some money away for retirement. You should plan for the future. You should think about leaving something for your kids. At the same time, though, can I tell you that if you are not building a foundation of faith in your family, if you are not investing into building the kingdom of God, if you leave an inheritance for your kids, but you don't lead them into a relationship with Jesus, everything that you have amassed to leave to them won't be a blessing, it'll be a curse. And the point is seen clearly in David's life. Because everything he left, Solomon, the armies, the gold, and I read one thing this week that said when he died, he was the third he he owned. A third of the world's wealth that's crazy a third of the world's wealth and he left that all to his son to his kingdom and everything he left was in vain because if you know anything about the family line of David if you read a story it reads like you are watching Game of Thrones that there is family fighting family there is brother fighting brother father fighting son there is there's rape there's murder there's scandal there's perversion, there's corruption, there's idolatry, and everything that David left is for nothing because the kingdom is split apart. Just one generation later, in two. And the family is always fighting. And the point I'm trying to tell you is that all of the money in the world isn't going to help your family if they don't first have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know family matters. Family is important. Family is precious to God. But sometimes we can get it out of order. Sometimes we can get so focused on thinking about the longevity of our family and getting our kids in the right school and giving them the right opportunities and making sure they're set up for success. And if we don't leave them a heritage of faith, if we don't build in them a foundation of faith, if we don't introduce them to Jesus, At the end, we didn't win. And sometimes, you know, it's not even that complicated. Because what other scholars said is it really wasn't about his legacy. It really wasn't about his posterity. At the end of the day, what David cared about was his ability. He just wanted to know, how good am I? What can I do? He wanted to measure his ability. And this is where our trust is in what we can do and in what we can achieve instead of looking to God's purpose. So sometimes we count what we can do. You know, we've got these goals of, man, I gotta have this much money in my bank account. We've got these goals of, I gotta have these letters after my name. We've got these goals of once my house is in this area. We've got whatever the success metric is, whatever it is you're counting, you put a box by it. As soon as you check that box, That's what you're trying to count. And even if you're a person who is not driven by achievement, can I tell you, you still assess your abilities. You just call it risk management. You you just call it looking at what's practical. You factor what's feasible. And none of that's bad or evil, none of that's wrong. I'm not suggesting any of that, but what I'm trying to tell you is that if you only factor the feasibility you'll never experience the possibility. If you only focus on what's feasible, you'll miss what's possible. That's what David did. We don't know his motivations. We we don't know why exactly he decided to count his army. But he took inventory of his life, literally, by calling for a census And what we know is, whatever the reason was, whether it was his legacy, his posterity, his ability, what we know is that he did not consider eternity because all of these things are temporary. This world is temporary. Now, I I need to stress, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that you should never count. There, there, There were times that God called for a census. This was not one of those times. But God's not against counting. God's not against numbers. He wrote a whole book about numbers, all right? It's called Numbers, like God's not against numbers. God, God God's not against assessing your situation. In fact, Scripture says this, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. It also says that nobody, when they undertake a great task, nobody undertakes something great without first counting the cost. I'm not saying you should never count. You better believe, like, as we go into this next season and we're getting a building, we're not just going into it hoping that this all works out, all right? Like, we are going into this counting a lot of things, assessing a lot of different things. There, there's a lot that needs to be taken into consideration. There's there's meeting after meeting of people looking at data and crunching numbers and weighing the options and considering alternatives and opportunities and performing studies and reworking and reassessing a number of different variables. And this is happening, honestly, in some form or fashion every week. I'm thankful for the people in our church who are lending their expertise and their skills to help us make good decisions as we approach this next season. God's not against counting. We are absolutely taking things into consideration and counting to help make good and wise decisions. But can I just stress, in everything that you're adding up, in everything that you're assessing, don't factor out faith. Let me put it to you a different way. Don't discount what God can do. Don't discount what God can do. To discount something literally means, dictionary definition, is to regard it as unworthy, to regard it as less worthy less value it means we devalue something don't discount what god can do see i don't just want you to give today i want you to trust god about what he's going to give back that's what jesus said right give and it will be given the same measure you use it will be measured back to you let me give you a little pro tip that's not just talking about money it's talking about everything factored in that is faith, the faith that you use when you give today. Don't don't just give something today. You know, what what were you believing God for? Oh, not much. Guess where you're going to get back? Not much. Believe God for something today. Believe that when you give, God can do over and above beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. God is going to show up in your life. I, I don't just want you to give in this offering, I want you to give in faith for whatever it is that you need God to do. Whatever it is that you're facing. Whatever the struggle, whatever the problem, whatever it is that you are believing God for, that's what I want you to have in your mind when you give. Believe that God can still work miracles. He can. But believe that when you give in this offering, God is going to work on your behalf. He's going to save your husband. He's going to restore that relationship. He's going to build your future. He's going to heal that thing. He's going to restore that thing. Don't discount what God can do. I mean, if you get anything out of Scripture, it's that God is a miracle-working God. I don't care what part of the Bible you turn to, you will see that God works on behalf of his people. Think about Abraham, who is called the father of faith, who God spoke to him and said, that I'm going to give you a child. And for a hundred years old, he didn't have a child. His wife, Sarah, was barren. She was 90 years old. And yet God fulfilled his promise. God God brought forth a son. Think Think about Moses being 80 years old, having the call of God on his life, but not answering it until 80. And yet at 80 years old, God used him to lead an entire nation out from under bondage. They'd been enslaved for 400 years even when they were coming out, they're being chased by the Egyptian army. They've got their backs against the wall. On one hand, they have a sea. On the other hand, they have an army that wants to kill him. And all Moses has is a stick. Don't discount what God can do. He brought them through. Think about Joseph, who suffered bad break after bad break after bad break. He went from having his family want to kill him, beat him up. Left him for dead, sold him into slavery, wrongly accused, put into prison, forgotten about while he's there. And yet God didn't forget about him. He moved him into a a place of prominence. The second most powerful man in Egypt. Don't discount what God can do. I could go through so many people. Joshua fighting Jericho. But God says, I don't want you to fight this the way you think you're going to fight this. You're going to march around seven times. For seven days and on the seventh time of the seventh day, you're going to shout and I'm going to bring about a victory. It's not going to be the way you thought. It's not going to be through your might. Think about Daniel who relentlessly chose to serve God when it wasn't easy, when everybody else said don't do this, when there was a law, that it violated what he should do, yet he still served God. And in the midst of that he was thrown into the lion's den to be killed, God protected him and raised him up. Just don't discount what God can do. I'm I'm trying to help you see that there is a God that still works miracles, whatever it is in your life. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing God. And when you give in this offering, believe that God is going to work on your behalf. If you're just factoring what's feasible, you are discounting what's possible. And I don't want you to discount what God can do. You've been estranged from a family member. This is the year that God restores that. You were abused in your past. You've got trauma from it. I'm sorry about that. I wish it would have never happened. It was wrong. It was evil. And I can't change the past, but can I tell you, that doesn't have to be the headline in your life. It can be a footnote in your history. God can heal it, and he can set you free from that. That, that doesn't have to follow you everywhere. You need breakthrough in your job, breakthrough in your career, breakthrough in your business, in your future. Trust God with that today. Trust that God is going to build the things in your life that he's promised to build in your life. That's what you're doing when you're giving this offering. And you're not buying a miracle. Don't get it twisted. I would never pervert God's word like that. That's not what you're doing. But I am saying that when you give, this is what you're saying. God, there is no amount of money that will fix this problem in my life. And I would give any amount of money to fix it. But since I can't fix it and you can fix it, I'm going to give because that's putting my trust in you that you're the only one who can. I'm not discounting what you can do, God. And I, I just want you to know, church, that this is holy to me. What we're doing today matters to me. I don't take this flippantly. This is sacred. When when the offerings come in and I see the amount that comes in, I don't think about the dollars. I think about the faith that's represented in the room. I think about what every gift means and what every person is praying for and what every person is believing God for. And you need to know that I'm praying for you. God, I'm, I'm praying, God, move on these people's behalf. They're trusting you. God, show yourself strong. Show yourself faithful. Do what only you can do. And there's some of you today who are gonna give Really big. Uh, some of you are going to give the biggest check you've ever given, the biggest amount you've ever given. I want to thank you in advance for that. Some of you are going to write the biggest check you've ever written, period. I want to thank you for that. And as you give, I'm just asking you not to consider what you can do. I'm asking you to consider what God can do. That, that's the difference. Because David, David got in trouble when he says, what can I do? I'm going to take a census. And, and he looked to a census to determine his ability. And we might not look to a census, but I was thinking how sometimes we look to our senses. We think about what, what makes sense. What makes sense in this scenario? Can I tell you that trusting God doesn't always make sense? Putting God first doesn't always make sense. Sacrifice doesn't always make sense. But that's what we're going to see, and I need to move through this because even though we don't know why David counted, what we do know is that he regretted the fact that he did, and we see it in verse 10. Let me read it to you. It says, after David counted the people, his conscience troubled him. David said to the Lord, I've committed a terrible sin by what I've done. Lord, please forgive me because I've acted very foolishly. He was trusting his ability, what he could do. It's like, this is wrong. I put my ability and my trust over my trust in God. And this next part, you're just going to have to read this whole chapter for yourself today. Read it this afternoon. That's why I always encourage you to bring the Bible so you think, don't think I'm making this stuff up. Because what I'm going to tell you next, you're going to think that I'm just making this up. But this is true. This is in the Bible. Because of David's sin, an epidemic hits the land and kills thousands upon thousands of people. And you might think that's crazy, all because of David's sin. Well, sin always costs something. Sometimes we don't follow God because we think what God is asking of us costs too much. Can I tell you? What sin will take from you costs way more than anything that God will ever ask of you. God will ask you for something that you have, but sin will take from you something that, that you don't even that, that you never wanted to, to have taken from you. Sin will cost you way more than you want to pay. It will always cost you way more than what God will ask. Because when God asks you for something, on the other side of obedience is blessing. But sin, it says in Scripture, the wages of sin is death. Well, so David sinned. He shouldn't have done this. He didn't put his trust in God. And thousands of people died. And so when he repented, he realized the error of his ways. He repents. And this is where I want to pick up the story. In verse 18, there's a prophet named Gad. And it says that same day, the same day that David repented, Gad came to David and said, Go and build an altar on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And David did what Gad told him, what God had commanded. And Aruna looked up and saw David and his men coming his way. And he met them, bowing deeply, honoring the king and saying, Why has my master, the king, come to see me? To buy your threshing floor, said David, so I can build an altar to God here and put an end to this disaster. Oh, said Aruna. Well, then, in that case, let my master, the king, take and sacrifice whatever he wants. Look, here's an ox for the burnt offering, and threshing paddles, and ox yokes for fuel. Aruna gives it all to the king, and may God, your God, act in your favor. But the king said to Aruna, No, I have to buy this from you. I've got to buy it for a good price. Another translation says full price. I'm not going to offer God, my God, Sacrifices that are no sacrifice. So David bought the threshing floor and the ox, paying out 50 shekels of silver. He built an altar to God there and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And God was moved by the prayers. And that was the end of the disaster. Now, I'm not trying to suggest, but by our offering today, it's going to put an end to the coronavirus. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want to point out what scripture says. That in verse 24, when David goes to give a sacrifice because he realizes he was wrong, he wants to make it right. Aruna says, hey, whatever you need, if I've got it, it's yours. Take it. David says, no. I am not going to give God a sacrifice that's not a sacrifice. I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me anything. Here's what I want you to see. Sacrifices are significant. Sacrifices are significant. I wanna be clear, unashamedly, I am asking you church to make a sacrifice today. I'm not just asking you to give something in the offering. I'm asking you to offer God something that counts. I'm asking you to make it count today, to make it count between now and the end of the year. And in David's mind, when it came to sacrifices, if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. Look, there's a lot of things we can give to, a lot of good things that we can give to, but there is only one thing we can give to that is gonna make a difference in eternity. And that is, did we give to build God's kingdom? That's why we give to build God's church. And the cool thing is we get a picture of it literally we're doing a church building but the kingdom of God isn't buildings (laughs) it's people and we give and we change lives that's what we're giving to and that's what's cool about this story because when I tell you sacrifices are significant you might think I'm talking about a number it's got to be significant and in some ways I am but if you look in this story the reason sacrifices are significant is because of what they do See, when David offered a sacrifice, it wasn't that the epidemic ended. That's cool. But what was better is what began. And you only know this if you're a Bible nerd, okay? I'm gonna help you out today, because 2 Samuel 24, that's where the story ends. That's the end of 2 Samuel. It ends right right here. But that's not the end of David's story. You have to read in the 1 Kings to get the rest of his story. But this story is actually retold in 1st Chronicles, same exact story retold, 1st Chronicles chapter 21, I don't know if we have it on the screen but I'll read to you, 21 verse 25 so it ended in verse 25, let me read 25 to you in 1st Chronicles, so David paid Arunah 600 shekels of gold for the site, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he called the Lord, the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering, okay that's cool but there's a 1st Chronicles 22 let me read it to you, it says David said The temple of the Lord must be built right here at this threshing floor. The place where David gave a sacrifice is the place where God brought his presence. It's the place where God built his house. We have a saying around here, when you build God's house, he'll build your house. When you give to what God wants, he'll invest in what you want. When you give today and make a sacrifice, it brings God's presence into that situation with whatever you're giving. So I'm asking you to sacrifice today because sacrifices are significant. David's sacrifice not only put an end to the disaster, but it brought about the building of God's house. And that's what we get to do. Whatever you're giving today, we're at the end of one season, but it's not the end, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what God's gonna do in our city, in our world, in our community, in our church, and in your life. It's just the beginning.